When it comes to you, Buddy Miller on KRCL 90.9, off a great collection LP called The Best of the High Tone Years. Starting us off this hour, how high from the record company. And ahead of that, eBay wrapping up his afternoon drive. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, an hour that we're going to spend plugging you into your community and creating a playlist to match. So your participation is essential, folks. I'd like you to send me your show ideas, send me your song dedications. Over the summer with our Songs of Summer playlist, it was fantastic. Uh, Really opened up the show to more community voices. So there's two ways to keep doing that with me. Leave me a voicemail when you call 385-800-1889 or use that voice memo app on your smartphone and record a message. Then you email it to radioactive at krcl.org. So maybe there's a song that inspires you or gives you an idea for a show. Just be sure to tell me why in your message. Or maybe there's a cause or a concern in the community that you'd like to shine a light on or help folks learn more about. So be sure to include your solutions or guest ideas when you leave me a message about that. Tonight, filmmaker and podcaster Loki Mulholland of the Joan Trumpauer Mulholland Foundation and the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast. Loki has moved from Utah back to Virginia, which is closer to his mother, Joan, who's an original freedom writer. She turns 80 tomorrow. He's got news about the end of slavery, the fight for Amendment C film, a story that played out here in Utah as well as what's next for the JTM Foundation. But let's get started with Kate Rubelkava of the Utah Nonprofits Association. It represents the more than 10,000 nonprofits in all sectors across all causes in the state. We're talking a lot of good trouble. The association's annual conference is coming up later this month under the theme of regroup. Here's Kate. Regroup is a fantastic way to look at how we're going to move forward as a community. Um, People keep talking about post-pandemic world and, you know, what we're doing now. And as a team, we really started to think about we're still living it. We're still trying to figure out, you know, what this new normal looks like for the many nonprofits in the state. And we landed on Regroup because we thought, you know, We need to really just regroup together as a community and start to think differently about how we're going to continue to move forward. So in spite of all of the craziness, in spite of the pandemic that we're still living through, we are getting together. We're regrouping as a nonprofit community, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have this conference next week. From doing the actual advocacy of a nonprofit to the infrastructure of a nonprofit, it's all in the conference. Stick around, folks, and we'll share the details after our conversation with your keynote, Dr. Atia Martin, who is going to talk about resilient organizational culture by embedding equity. What led you to Dr. Martin, Kate? She is a fantastic human. I've had the opportunity to listen to Dr. Martin at two different times in two different um, keynote speaker sessions over the last couple of years. And every time I hear Dr. Martin speak about something, I just get new information and I get energized. And she has such a brilliant way about talking about the data, talking about the facts, but then also making people really, I don't know, understand that it's not, 
it's not as complicated as we make it seem. Yeah, I think that's part of what is stymieing folks in this moment in our current culture about how do we get to equity. Um, So much of the conversation is about um, blame and leverage. And she gets, she asks us to move beyond that. So here's our conversation with Dr. Atiyah Martin, the CEO and founder of All Aces Incorporated, an alternative to traditional diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firms. So maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and for our listeners here on radio who um, don't know you, can't see you, where you come from, and your background that leads you to this point in time? Well, that is quite the question. Thank you for that. Um, honestly, I started my journey on understanding racism, what uh, what it is, how it works, how it impacts people, how it impacts Black people, Indigenous people, Latinx folks, Asian, um, Pacific Islanders, and really getting a sense of um, how it would impact my family. So it started with my family. Um, My husband and I have five children, two still at home. Um, And early in our life together, uh, we decided that we would um, do some legwork around what does it mean to embed racial equity into our family culture. And so that really meant for us that um, we needed to figure out what exactly that meant, which means we had to better understand what racism was. And it was that personal journey and trying to figure out how do we raise five Black children in a society that's not designed for them to thrive. Um, And what I found is that as I begin to go deeper with my understanding, with my knowledge, with my skills, it went beyond my family. The way I showed up at work was different. Um, The way that I was able to navigate conversations was different the way that I was able to connect the dots in organizations and in situations was very different. And I found myself then going down another rabbit hole, which is, well, how does it work in organizations? What are the patterns that we see that makes it possible for us to expand our landscape of action? Because there's way more that we can do about confronting racism and advancing racial equity than we believe. And so being able to navigate that terrain and begin to see the patterns across lots of different research, everything from psychology to sociology, to success literature, to philosophy, all of the stuff, Uh, neuroscience, all provided these kind of pieces that Um, started to come together to create a different perspective for me on what organizations can be doing differently. And to be quite frank, um, as I think about that journey, um, the way I got here is by putting what was in books, in my experience, um, and all of these different pieces together to actually apply them in real life. There couldn't be a better person for this moment in time, for this conversation you'll be really helping with, with the Utah Nonprofits Association and their annual conference. It's a it's a big, meaty topic, and you're coming to Utah, which is known for 
white bread, white folks, <laughs> jello. <laughs> And and so, um, you know, you're come when you go out in this environment that we're in, where critical race theory is now being debated at school board meetings, and we're creating laws to shut down open conversation on college campuses about it. I'm just curious, you know, the ten thousand foot view of what? How do we break this down? How do we start to break down the barriers that keep us from talking about it? I think first and foremost is to learn. What I've learned uh, and what I continue to learn is that as human beings, we think we know way more than we really do. And so when people are having conversations about issues, it's usually from a context that is limited in its substance. And so we're having debates about things we don't actually fully understand. You say substance, and I think Twitter and go, that's where we're debating this. It's the <laughs> wrong forum. It's the wrong forum. 160, 120 characters or less. If you, can, if you can get it down to that, then you're golden, apparently. But no, it's a real challenge um, in being able to slow down, to really think, do I really know about this issue? And if I don't, then I need to go learn so that I can be in a more sophisticated conversation. Right now, we're not actually having conversations. We're just yelling at each other. Yeah, yeah. You wrote about this. Uh, we are the question and the answer. Break the collective habit of racism and build, res build resilience for racial equity in ourselves and our organizations. And I think that's what terrifies groups, big or small, from families to corporations, uh, nonprofits included, is we are the question and the answer. You know, we have this habit that we may not even be aware of. So we're the only ones that can break it. Uh, we're in the kind of a throw everyone off the island mm. survivor style society. And so we also want to blame folks and hold people accountable. But really, it's we got to do it together. Yes, that's a great point. And actually, I think I think it feels like it's all of society when it's the loudest voices. So on social media, on, on popular media, you're hearing the loudest voices and there are um, pockets of, of excellence and empathy and collaboration across the country. I think it gets lost in the loudness of the extremes. Um, and so when, when I think about well, where are there opportunities for us to engage? I think uh, number one is to not assume that just because we don't start from the same beliefs that we can't be in a meaningful conversation, meaningful relationships with one another, because most of us have different beliefs from one another. Right? Yeah. And experiences. And experiences, right. right. And when, if we put this in an organizational context, the other thing that... Um, that happens is organizations become mirrors of the loudest voices in society, right? And so it seeps into organizations unless you have that, that buffer of, <clears throat> excuse me, a clear organizational culture, right? So if you have not developed intentionally an organizational culture, you definitely have an organizational culture. It's just probably a toxic one, probably an unhealthy one, probably one that looks like what's happening in the rest of society. Well, you know, 
uh, I'm thinking back to a year ago and uh, George Floyd's murder in the streets and then what yeah. percolated in streets across the country. And we started seeing organizations quickly push out their equity statements, you know, to say, I stand <laughs> together uh, and fight racism, which is it's a reaction, right? You want to be on the right side of history. So um, I'm guessing part of what you're going to be talking about is how to create that culture. And this is kind of a weird analogy, but I remember years ago when I was trying to design websites, and as you'd work with a company, they would often reorganize because they, they started to realize things that they didn't realize about how they worked. And I feel like this is an opportunity, if we can sit with the discomfort, to reorganize how we work. Absolutely. And I think it's also an opportunity to reframe what we think the problem is, right? Um, on that theme that we were uh, talking about before, this idea of we think we know more than we actually do, we have a lot of assumptions about what racism is, how it's showing up in the organization, whose problem it is, who should be doing something about it, who shouldn't be doing something about it. All of these different pieces, who's actually impacted or not impacted, which trickles down into um, the everyday activities, the, the way we, we put our products together, the way we put our services together, all of those things are influenced by our lack of understanding or our, um, or our constant work towards understanding. And when it's in our organization, the tendency that we have, because all of us have it in our organizations, because we're people and people are made up of organizations. Um, and so this idea of how do I make sure that I, as a leader, uh, in an or of an organization that I, as someone who is a part of an organization, can actually um, take meaningful action within that context. And the only way that I can do that is if I understand the breadth and depth of the problem. If I think that racism is about interpersonal behavior, oh, that's just a problem between those people, then what I think the landscape of action is, is going to be severely limited. But if I understand that the things that happen in my organization are my responsibility as a leader, then that's going to be a whole different set of actions and thinking. And so if I'm like, okay, this thing happened in my organization, what is it about how we're operating? What is it about the culture we've created, the structure, the process that helped to facilitate that situation? And here's the trap that we fall into that prevents us from asking ourselves those questions in organizations. We confuse fault with responsibility. So if I think that, well, by addressing this issue, I'm admitting somehow that it's my fault that these things happen versus it doesn't matter whose fault it is, it happened. And because I was a witness to the thing happening, it is my responsibility as a person who cares, as a person who is trying to uh, have impact in the world that is in charge of this organization to do something about it, which means I might have to look at a policy. Maybe there's something about the fact that we don't have a culture where people get to know each other. So the, a lot of tension is existing and bubbling up 
because people don't even know each other in any real kind of way, even on the same teams, right? So there's all of these more nuanced things and, uh, and opportunities that we have to shift the dynamics, to shift how we're running our organizations, to be able to create the kind of spaces that everyone wants to be in. So, and, and this is the last thing I'll say on this, there's, this, there's a tendency to think that advancing racial equity is about um, catering to people of color or BIPOC people. The reality is racism surfaces the dysfunction in organizations, the most dysfunctional parts. Why? Because people of color are going to disproportionately experience in a very amplified way that dysfunction because of racism. So if you wanna fix the biggest challenges, the biggest problems, if you're starting to see a pattern with what people of color in your organization are experiencing, are experiencing or any marginalized identities in the organization are experiencing, that is gonna give you the answers to a number of tests. It's gonna give you the answer to structure issues, process issues, culture issues. It's going to help you address the real problems in organizations, and it makes it a better place for everyone because you had better believe if there's an organization that people of color don't want to work at, most of the people who are in that organization probably don't want to really work there either. Dr. Atia Martin, who will be the keynote speaker at this year's Utah Nonprofits Association Conference coming up in just a week or more. So give us the dates and registration deadlines, Kate. So the registration deadline for our conference, which is next week, September 21st, 22nd and 23rd. The registration deadline is September 17th. So this Friday. It's coming up. Where can folks get all the information and sign up? You can find us at utahnonprofits.org and all of your social media. And Kate, I have been really concerned. You know, KRCL is a nonprofit. You yourself, your organization is a nonprofit. And I think, you know, that shock of getting through 2020 was huge. And then, oh my gosh, this pandemic and everything else is still going on in 2021. And now it's like, we need to adapt and adjust and regroup the theme for this year's conference. What's the mood out there among Utah nonprofits? You know, we're still plugging away. Uh, what I love so much about the sector here is that each and every person that I talk to who works for a nonprofit and powers the work that's happening on the ground in their community has so much passion and drive to make sure that their mission is served. And so I, I think that the mood is still one of um, being there to show up for the community, um, but we're all we're all a little maxed out at the moment. Um, I think there's a lot of decision fatigue happening in the field, and there's just a lot of uncertainty about where we're going to be in the next six to twelve months. And so, I encourage everybody to really reach out to the nonprofits that you know, love, and support, and find out ways that you can engage in their work. Um, because together, when we regroup as a community, we have far better um, opportunity of uh, getting through all of this together. Kate Rubicava, Utah Nonprofits Association. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Appreciate it. I'm Laura Jones. Check tonight's show notes for a link. Just go to krcl.org. The most recent show is always on the homepage. Or click the Community Affairs tab to find the radioactive archives. Support for KRCL comes from Lifelong Learning at the U of U, offering 200 classes this fall online and in person, including Music Enrichment for Health and Wellness and Poetry Workshop. 
More information and a full list of classes at lifelong.utah.edu. Looking for a job? Chamber West is holding a job fair from 3 to 6 p.m. Thursday, September 16th at Copper Hills High School. On-site help to update or write your resume and interview coaching available too. More info at chamberwest.com. It might take a while for that rusted out Geometro in your garage to become vintage. So why not donate it in the meantime? KRCL's vehicle donation partner, Cars Inc., will tow your car, truck, motorcycle, or boat, give you a tax receipt, and cut a check to KRCL. That means your college SUBI can fuel Sagebrush Serenade and your 1980 station wagon can power women who rock. For details on donating your vehicle to KRCL, drop by the support tab at krcl.org. This is Radioactive, featuring conversations that plug you into your community and inspire a playlist to match. I'm Laura Jones, your host. Original freedom writer Joan Trumpower Mulholland turns 80 tomorrow. Her son, Loki Mulholland, is helping his mom continue to educate to end hate. I spoke with him recently about a move from Utah to Virginia to continue the work of the foundation. And he has news on his latest documentary featuring Utah Representative Sandra Hollins and her fight to remove slavery from the Utah Constitution. Here's that conversation. My name is Loki Mulholland. I'm the executive director of the Joan Trump Power Mulholland Foundation. And so much more, Loki. Thanks so much for giving us some time. We haven't uh, caught up with each other since your move from Utah to Virginia, closer to your mom, Joan Trump Power Mulholland. How's the move? Uh, move's been great. You know, we actually have this, this stuff called rain. It's water that falls from the sky. And I was going to say, do you have that mist, that early morning mist? We do. So your mom... When we air this, the next day will be your mom's 80th birthday. Yeah, and everyone's invited. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we're doing, a, we're doing a live Zoom session with her at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you can go to the, uh, the website. Which is? And, uh, which is thejtmfoundation.org. So T-H-E-J-T-M-foundation.org. And it's free, you know, and uh, it's going to be a good time. For folks new to the JTM Foundation, your mom was an original freedom writer. She participated in over 50 sit-ins and demonstrations by the time she was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. And her own family did not agree with her politics. In fact, uh, turned her out pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever since, though, she's been committed to this cause. She was a recipient of the 2015 National Civil Rights Museum Freedom Award. And uh, you, too, have been creating this conversation, mm-hmm. uh, creating resources for folks to educate themselves on civil rights in our current era. One of the projects that you just got an award for hits really close to home here in Utah. Let's talk about the end of slavery. I just saw that uh, you got a couple of awards for this documentary with our own representative, Sandra Hollins. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, so... Uh... The End of Slavery, The Fight for Amendment C. So this was a film that was about uh, stripping the language of slavery out of the Utah State Constitution. And uh, a lot of people are like, how, this is in 2020, you know, uh, which really surprises people when I add that little caveat to it, that this is, this is not some historical film. This is stuff happening right now. And uh, the language of slavery that exists is the same that we have in the 13th Amendment, which says that slavery... Uh, is abolished except as a punishment for crime of those who are duly convicted, which means that people can be re-enslaved. Um, and particularly, it's this, uh, one of the key things I actually said with, with uh, Representative Hollins in the film is 
I said, but yeah, but it's not like they're really gonna, you know, re-enslave people. And she says, well, that 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 language wasn't written for you, right? It was written for people who look like me. And in fact, of course, uh, the 13th Amendment, the way it was 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 uh, phrased, um, crafted, was a uh, an appeasement to the South, so that they literally could re-enslave people um, under the uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the term at the moment. Uh, but basically the penal farm institutions and stuff that they have. Uh, convict leasing, there's the term. So yeah, you could, you could arrest uh, you know, African-Americans in particular, or the poor, um, under things like loitering laws. So you don't have a job, you're not doing anything, so we're going to arrest you, put you in the prison system, and then you'll be leased back out to the mines, the railroads, and the plantations. Well, you've received a couple of awards for this film. Um, I'd love to play a clip. Can we share a clip? Please. Is slavery still legal in Utah? Well, technically, yes. And it's still legal in many other states. These words matter because slaves were not considered to be human. But this is also about acknowledging the wrongs that were done to so many people. When discussing the issue of slavery being in the Constitution, whatever reasons that this language was in there in the first place, those reasons do not apply today. I am the only Black representative, well, legislator up here at the Capitol, period, but I'm the first Black woman ever elected to a state-level position. In theory, this is a great idea. Um, It allows people to say, I'm not racist, or I support this movement, but in practice, what does it do? That's the question and, and the movement that we're trying to move people towards. Well, I've had a little opposition. I've had someone who stated that I'm trying to take down monuments. I'm trying to erase the past. If this do not pass this November, then I mourn, then I pick myself up, and we try again. So that is a clip from the award-winning film, The End of Slavery, which is about the fight for Amendment C here in Utah to remove enslavement as an option for criminal punishment still on the books until Representative Sandra Hollins led that successful fight to remove it. And I think it's this kind of education that is most valuable from the JTM Foundation, Loki, is that we think of so many of these things, and the Supreme Court has tried to tell us that, that this is over that um, we don't need to worry about language in 2021. And of course, we all know that's not the case. Yes, this is the very thing that the anti-CRT movement, the critical race theory folks are you know, pushing against, which of course, you know, I, I live here in, U- in, in Virginia now, and that's a big thing, you know, just like it is everywhere, this, this supposed issue. And as I actually listened to a friend of mine who's a superintendent of a school district for Stafford County, and they're like, well, they're talking about it's anti-CRT. He goes, we don't have that. That's not that's not even in our curriculum. It's not a CRT, thing. It's not a thing. Uh, another friend who's a superintendent of another school district said he, he told a board member, a school board member, said, you know, I don't remember her name, but it was something like Jean or something like that. It's like Jean, you wrote the curriculum. You know, it's not in there. Why are you bringing this up? I mean, but that that's how psychotic it's getting right now. Uh, it's just it's just that fear of I don't know I, I I wish I actually really had a real answer for why why people continue to do this except for that it's you know this fear of loss this fear of you know that you know it's it's 
you're teaching people to hate white people, which is not the case. Teachers don't have time for that sort of nonsense. History. Does it point to you the need for a larger kind of truth and reconciliation conversation in our country? Because I think what we lack is the the ability to talk about it. Yeah, if I sit down in a, a diverse group and I feel that I'm being judged for folks who came before me, I'm going to bolt from that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, we really do need to have real conversations, real dialogue. Um, that's that's really missing right now. Everything is sound bites off of TikTok and you know Facebook, whatever else, and people just kind of trying to blast each other. And it's just, there's this there's not a real opportunity for people to talk right now. I mean, COVID is obviously part of that. Let's just be honest. I mean, that's that's the, the, that's a big element. It's interesting that all this kind of came to light. You know, suddenly came to light. Uh, our worst angels are yes. ruling on our shoulders right, right now. But um, I know I even know you use the word reconciliation and that's to reconcile. And there are people who even get upset about using that word and they'll get bogged down just on the word. It's like, look, it's a, it's a general word that some people understand. Don't, don't get bogged down in that. Uh, Let's just focus on what the real intent is. Um, So there's, there's a lot that's going on there and we just need to, really just have that, that conversation. And that's what I try to do with the films is to create those sort of conversations. I have that space, same with the podcast that we have, the Uncomfortable Truth podcast, um, is to have these uncomfortable dialogues and conversations so that you, and, and you can peer into this and see what's taking place and, and understand more of, of, of the history and, and what's going on today. I mean, for example, not just uh, the end of slavery, but we have one we did in Utah that was called Black, White and Us. It was about racism through the lens of transracial adoptions in Utah. These were white people who believed that racism was over. And then, oh my gosh, you know, they adopted these black children and look what happens. So that was modern day in Utah, for example. Well, and the reason I wanted to to have you on today and my best wishes to your mom on her birthday tomorrow was to talk about what you offer to folks, educators, the general public. You have this whole, you have curriculum, you have books, you have films. Um, that folks can use to educate themselves, um, to hold, you know, film clubs, book clubs, what have you, and and try and have these conversations, uh, meet people where they are, but help shine a light on misinformation is probably the kindest way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we and we've we've we have a history of disinformation campaigns in our country. Uh, that's kind of why we're at where we're at with the. Uh, lost cause narrative of the South, the 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 happy slave owners, and you know the, the nice slave owners, and those sort of things. The happy slave narrative, what they call it. your mom's 80th birthday. What what's she focusing on? Is she slowing down at all? She, you know, she is. There's an element of that. I mean, she is getting older, but her mind's still sharp. Actually, one of the things we're doing right now is TikTok videos. Really? She's a TikTok star. Is she is she dancing yeah. or? <laughs> no, she just she kicks back at the dining room table, and I just record these short little stories that she talks about of her time in the civil rights movement, whatever else. So someone wanted to know, what was it like to be a freedom writer? It was good. I mean, most of the freedom writers were guys, good-looking college guys. What's not to like? And you knew you were doing the right thing, and it just worked out beautifully. I mean, some of these videos have half a million views, which, you know, is pretty decent. Uh, we've got, you know, 
uh, well over a million million views and you know 20 25,000 followers as of right now and but people are really a lot of people are just like wow how can we never heard this and it's just another audience uh, you know audience to hear these stories to learn about here's the courage of one individual who decided to make a difference that's really everything we're trying to do is is to empower people to show that they can make a difference um, that we don't have to live in the narrative we were taught and that we can go beyond that and treat each other the way we want to be treated. That was what my mom was all about. Well, from the Jackson Woolworths sit into yeah. TikTok videos, your mom is <laughs> still going strong and you guys are a nonprofit. Yes, so you you're looking for sustainers to keep the foundation and, and the work of the films and the books alive. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we, you know, we we do speaking engagements. We have the films and so forth that we sell and the curriculum that we provide to schools. Um, there's a lot of little things that we do, but yeah, we actually have a new sustainer model that we've created where people can donate at different levels and get access to the films and and participate, um, uh, you know, in in live Zoom sessions with civil rights people, and so it's it's it's, it's fun. Uh, we're starting to make some headway with that and. And it's 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 uh, it's a nice way to kind of give back instead of just the standard coffee mug from NPR. We've got you know we've got films that will ch- help change your life and and uh, educate you and move the work forward. Loki Mulholland of the Joan Trumpauer Mulholland Foundation. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the nonprofit. Thanks for tuning in to Radioactive tonight. Coming up at seven, Democracy Now. Red, white, and blues with Brian Kelm at eight. Michelle's Night Train at 10.30. And start your brand new day with Eric Nelson sitting in for John Florence this week from 6 to 10 a.m.